The Lord spoke to us out of this verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I believe we need to go back over it today, look at it again, stir ourselves up about it. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10 says, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, say these words with me, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Say it again, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We got a word from the Lord about this year and our lives beyond this year, that this is the work that the God of all grace was going to begin doing in this church, in your life, in mine, that he was going to begin going to work to perfect and establish and strengthen and settle us. Let me ask you, church, how you doing? Better than ever. Remember, that's our answer to the question. And I got to tell you how much I love hearing it around town, walking into a store, seeing, seeing somebody from the church. I say, how you doing? They say, better than ever. Well, what does that mean? We're basing that on this word that when God has gone to work in your life, perfecting you, establishing, strengthening, and settling you, well, whatever you were before, after this work, you're better than you've ever been. And I believe we're seeing it. You believe we're seeing it in our lives? We spent, I don't know, nine or 10 weeks talking about what it meant to be perfected. I know many of you were with us in that. Um, even if you were here, let me encourage you, go back and listen to some of that again. The Lord shared some amazing things with us about what it meant to be perfected. What does the Bible mean when it uses this word perfected? Because so many people, you hear it and maybe you've said it. I know I have in times past. Well, nobody's perfect. And that's the excuse people go to when they've messed up and they know it. They ruin a good apology with this statement right here. But you know, nobody's perfect. But we decided as a church family, we're going to be done saying that. Right? We're done saying that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not true. Jesus is perfect. So you can't say nobody is. He is. And number two, we're going to quit using that as an excuse. And we're going to look to the scriptures to define for us what perfect really means. And we found out over a number of weeks that it actually means developed, completed. It means brought to a place of maturity. Now, you can't say nobody's mature. You can say a lot of people aren't. <laughs> But the scripture tells us how to come to a place of full-grown spiritual adulthood to the place where we have grown into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's maturity. And according to the word, that's perfection. Now, what I had on my heart to encourage you with this morning before we move on from it is even if you think you're not seeing that yet, well, a couple of things. Don't be quick to believe it's not happening. He said he's doing that for us. Do you believe that word? I believe that word. And if he's given us that word from his word and by his spirit, you can believe it's happening. There is a perfecting taking place in your life. But in light of what it means growing up, developing, maturing, being complete, you don't always see growth as it's happening. 
our little ones. Justice is 12, Jesse just turned nine. I feel like they've just recently hit a growth spurt. I know they have. I know Justice has, why? Because the shoes I just bought <laughs> do not fit. Buddy, why don't you wear those shoes? They don't fit. I just bought them, I know. He's growing. But our, you know, I've seen this over the years. When, you, when you've got family who live in a different state and you get together once or twice a year, what's the first thing they say when they see your kids? They've grown so much. I can't believe how much you've grown. You have grown so much. Now, when you're the parent living in the house with them all the time, you don't always see that growth. It's slower to you. It's, it's more methodical and progressive. But there are other people, when the last time they saw them, they were down here, and the next time they saw them, they were up here. That growth is very visible. What am I telling you? You're growing even if you don't know it. And there will come a time when that growth that is taking place is going to start showing up. Don't let go of this word. This God of all grace is perfecting us. Amen? And I got stirred up about something uh, late last night, early this morning, thinking about this, this scripture again and just reminding myself of, of what I'm expecting him to do in my life, what I'm expecting him to do in my family and in this church. And while we started with that perfecting, what's the next thing he talked about? An establishing. The God of all grace is perfecting and what else? Establishing. Now, it's okay to talk back to me this morning. That's all right. Help me preach this, won't you? Won't you help me? <laughs> He's establishing us. Well, what does it mean to be established? Sounds like a good word, for sure. But again, some of these things, uh, you're going to have to go back and let the Bible define them for you. Yeah. You got to be careful about taking biblical principles and letting common worldly knowledge define for you things that only the Bible can define. What does it mean to be established? Well, it can mean to be settled, but he talks about that later in the verse, and they're two distinct things. It can mean to be, to be fixed. There's one definition of it that I really like, and I believe it's what the Lord's saying to us, to be established is to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Listen to every word of that. To turn resolutely in a certain direction. And then the implication there is that you take that direction. Now, we're pressing towards a life that's better than ever. So what's the difference between turning resolutely in a certain direction and taking that direction, what's the opposite of that? Wandering, wandering, aimlessly bouncing around. And do you realize that is a pretty good description of the way most people live life on this earth? Trying this, trying that. They bounce around a little bit this way. When that doesn't work, they back up, try something else change their major half a dozen times. Why? Looking, looking for direction, looking for, looking for some, some sort of direction to tell them what to do and where to go. And you get to the point where you just, 
you feel for people. I've said it I don't know how many times in my life. I don't get it. I don't get how anybody lives without the Holy Ghost. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you go through hard times without the Word. I don't understand how you face challenges without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I don't get it. And I certainly don't get how anybody makes any kind of decision with any level of confidence without having some sort of direction that's bigger than your own head, that comes from some higher place, some higher authority than your own smarts. Come on, are you listening to me? We've got something. I call it an unfair advantage over the rest of this world. We've got the Holy Ghost, the greater one. Glory to God. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. You've got access to information if you learn how to draw it up out of your heart and quit just looking to your head. And that's the information that you need to turn resolutely in a certain direction and take that direction. I'm done wondering. I'm done wandering. I'm done bouncing around through this life. This is my direction. This is the way I'm going. And bless God, God goes before me. He goes beside me. He surrounds me. Who's clapping? I'll talk to you today. Come on, we're going to get there. I learned this when I started learning how to fly airplanes. When you take off out of a particular airport, um, there's airports scattered all over this nation. Some of them are in rural areas where there's not a lot of traffic, not a lot going on. But then you got high traffic areas. You've got Denver. That would be a high traffic area. Uh, Certainly Dallas, Chicago, New York, LA. These would be high traffic, high volume areas. And... This little airport, one I learned to fly out of, then later the one we based our uh, ministry airplane out of, there'd be times we'd take off out of the airport and maybe we're going, you know, north and east to preach somewhere, but we take off on a runway heading of 1718, that's due south. Air traffic control, who sees the big picture, they might leave you on that heading for quite a while even though your destination is the opposite direction. They might tell you, stay on this heading, or they might tell you, turn turn left to a heading of 27, or turn right to a heading of 09, and and it's like, well, I don't want to go 09. I I need to go 36. That's north. I'm trying to go that way. And there's a phase as you're taking off, a phase of flight, where you could go two, three, four different directions based on any number of variables. But there comes a point in the progress of your flight that you're going to hear some instructions from air traffic control and they're going to tell you, turn to your heading, your desired heading, and establish on course. Establish on course. In other words, turn the direction that you've been trying to go this whole time and stay on it. Turn in that direction and stay on it. And man, when I was first learning to fly, I was, I was not confident with this. Things were not clicking for me. Things were not making sense for me. And when you're first learning, you don't do a whole lot of instrument flying. You, you learn the basic headings. You, you learn to read the instruments, but you're not dependent on them. They're, doing, they're teaching you what's called VFR, visual flight rules. And you've got a map 
that, that has ground points and, and, and you're looking, you gotta be able to see outside the airplane. You can't fly VFR on a cloudy day. You gotta be able to see. And you're using this map that's got, got points along the ground to, to make sure you're still headed in the right place. There's rivers and lakes and, and highways and roads that you can look at on this map. Well, I, I totally lacked confidence. I'd have to do these cross-country trips and I would take off out of this airport, Meacham Field, Fort Worth, Texas. And Meacham Field was located right on Highway 287. And I had to do cross-country trips to gain hours and gain time and get the rating. And a cross-country trip, I think it had to constitute of, of one, or leg more, one leg or more that had it was 50 nautical miles, something like that. Well, I found an airport in Bowie, Texas, that was something like 50 miles straight up Highway 287. <laughs> so I'd take off out of Meacham Field, find 287, and basically drive <laughs> to Bowie. I did not trust my navigational abilities. I didn't trust, any, I was nervous, I was scared. And I did that, I don't know how many times, I fly to Bowie and back. My instructor would be there, because I'm flying solo. And he's like, how's the trip? Great, thanks, gotta go. You know, I'm not, not telling him, look, dude, I'm not learning anything. I don't like this. Well, one day I finally was like, okay, you can't fly to this airport your whole life. There are other places you'll need to go. And so I decided I'm going to pick three airports and I'm going to make it a, a three-leg trip back to home. I'm telling you, 30 minutes into that flight, I don't know where I am. Nothing's looking right. The map and the outside are different. Sweat the size of baseballs is dripping down my back. Because what are you gonna do? Pull over? Excuse me. Can you tell me how to get back to 287, please? What are you gonna do, right? And the day before, I had done a little bit of training with a pilot friend of ours and he was teaching me how to read these instruments and dial in these frequencies. And I won't explain the whole thing, but it was basically, here's how you triangulate your position. If you ever get lost, not knowing the very next day, I'm gonna be so lost. And he's like, so all you gotta do is tune in this. It's called a VOR and it sends out a signal and it'll tell you what radial you're on. And then tune in this one and it'll tell you what radial you're on. And the intersection of those radials, that's where you are. So I'm, I'm up there flying, trying to do all this at the same time. And I don't know what happened, but my lines look like this. I'm like, how am I getting parallel lines? <laughs> you know what I'm doing that whole time? Wandering. Wandering. And finally, I mean, obviously, I made it home. Uh, <laughs> but you, you call air traffic control, and you do your best not to be like, go, God, I'm lost. Please tell me where. You know, you just give them your... Your tail number 389, Charlie Lima. Uh, can I get vectors, please, to uh, Meacham Field? And they sounds like you know what you're doing. And they give you a radio. You turn to that direction. And air traffic control gave me a heading to fly that took me where I needed to go. You turn in that direction and don't make any other turns. <laughs> and it got me home. And that was the day my flight instructor was like, hey, how'd it go? And I was like, great, thanks. See you, gotta go. Oh, man, it shook me up. I can't help but think there are vast majorities of people living like that. No resolute direction. Just not established on any course to speak of. 
bouncing around, trying to figure stuff out. But the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered, remember we talked all about that, after you have submitted, after you have resisted the devil, after you've endured the persecution that goes along with being a believer, he's at work in you all the time, perfecting and establishing you, giving you a direction to turn in. Amen? That you don't have to turn from. Glory to God. I've been spending some time just looking at verses that have to do with this. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 with me. And we'll just begin this today. We may not get to all of it, but you're coming back. Proverbs chapter 4. I want to read verse 26 and 27, but then I want to go back and, and put some context around it. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Listen to what it says. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. What does that mean? Just think about it. Think about the direction you're going in. Think about the road you're on. Think about what's happening to you while you're on this road. Think about where this road is taking you. Think about what you're going to find when you get there. Ponder it. To me, it kind of paints the picture of somebody who's walking along and you hear this verse, ponder the path of your feet. It's almost like you need to stop. You need to stop and think about a few things. Ask yourself some questions about this road you're on. Does that sound like good advice? Yeah. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. So there you can see, this is what the scripture's talking about when he talks about being established. You see the connection between the path, the direction, ponder that path that your feet are taking you down, and let your ways be established. In other words, find out the direction you're supposed to be going on and then stick with it. And he says in verse 27, once you're established, do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. When your ways are established and you have found out from God what he's put you on this planet to do, what the call and assignment and anointing and a grace is on your life, you better rest assured there will be temptation to take an exit. There's going to be a temptation to take a side road. But he said, let your ways be established. Ponder your path. Get on the right one. If you've been on the wrong one, get off it and get on the right one and let your ways be established. Now, listen to some of these other scriptures. Don't leave Proverbs 4 here. We'll keep talking about it. But the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist talking to the father says, you will show me the path of life. The path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So is there a path of life? Yeah. How do you find it? He said, you got to show it to me, Lord. He said, you will show me the path of life. Now contrast that with what the Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 12, and in other places. It says there is a way 
that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of what? Death. So just in those two verses, what have we just found out? There is a path to life and there is a path to death. Now here's what hit me in a new way about this. Most people live with the idea that there are any number of different ways you can take in this life. So many different roads, so many different paths. And even in our educational system, coming out of high school, going into what we call a higher education, they even call them paths. You're on this path, you're on that path, a, the path to a law degree, the path to a medical degree, the path to a teaching, an education degree. They call them different paths. And if you were to look through a course catalog of, of different college courses, yeah, you know, it does look like there's a lot of roads, there's a lot of paths. People think that way about religion, that there's a lot of different paths, a lot of different roads. But you cannot think that way and be a Christian. You can't. Jesus said, I am one of many ways. No, the way. I am, I am a truth of many different truths. No, the truth, the life. Jesus also said that broad is the road that leads to destruction. Why is it so broad? Well, listen to what he said. Many are those who travel it. Why is that road so broad? Because like everybody's on it. It's got to be big for that many people to be walking that road. But what did he say it leads to? Destruction. There's a narrow road, though, that leads to life. So what hit me about this is actually there's not a bunch of ways not a whole bunch of roads. There's two. Two roads. And based strictly on the names of those roads, which would you pick? If this one's called Path to Death and the other's called Path to Life, do you even really know, need to know what's along the road or... Uh, what's the scenery like or what's the, no, just based on the name of the road, period, do you know which one you want to be on? You show me the path to life. Now with that in mind, go back to Proverbs 4. And you're going to see that that is what not only this proverb, but many of the Proverbs are all about, getting on the right path. I wish we had time to read the whole thing, but, but just back up to verse 10 and read a few verses here with me. He said, hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in what? Right paths. So if there are right paths, what else are there? Wrong ones. He said, when you walk, verse 12, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. If, what? If you're on the right path. Well, by default, what do you know that means about the wrong path? You are going to get tripped up. 
You are going to be fallen in ditches. You are going to be stumbling all along the way. On the right path, you don't get hindered. On the right path, you don't trip up. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.